0: Look at the scriptures this morning. We are studying the parables of Jesus Christ. We've talked about the eight kingdom parables. We've talked about the three parables of the lost thing. A couple of weeks ago, we started on this series into the just basic Christian principles that Jesus teaches in each of the parables. And so we talked about the idea of the vineyard workers, and we use that to remind ourselves of God's grace to all of us. Last week, we talked about the parable of the wise man built on the rock and the foolish man built on the sand. And I talked about the idea that that comes at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. This morning, I want to go to a parable that Jesus told actually, two of them at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. And he uses this to illustrate two very common things that the people clearly understood. And so, Often what you see with Jesus in a parable is he takes an earthly concept, and it may have been a, a story or it may be some actual thing like we're going to look at this morning, and then he makes a spiritual truth to it. So this morning we're going to look at this one, these two that he talks about at the very beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. Um, you've heard these, but we're going to kind of walk through them, and hopefully you can learn a little bit about it. Here Matthew chapter 5, and here's what he said. You are the salt of the earth. Let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So let's talk a little bit about both of these concepts because these two things, salt and light, in in the context in which Jesus is speaking, kind of had a different idea than they would to us today. All right? So let me give you a little bit of background about salt that you probably are not aware of. In the ancient world, salt was considered one of the greatest treasures that you could have. In fact, in the sixth century an ounce of salt was the same was worth the same thing as an ounce of gold. Um, that's how that's how uh, valuable uh, this became. Often cities were built around salt mines. Uh, it, when you go way back in history, what would happen is uh, animals typically looking for salt would find a place to to get salt. So what would happen in, the, in early uh, ancient history is people then, you, you would have these trails that the animals had created to a salt lick or something like that. People would then follow them because people wanted to mine the salt that was there. So often roads, cities, and things like that were built around this concept of salt. Much like in our country, years ago, towns grew up around railroads. Uh, so that people could get their grain and and stuff like that to market. so in in the early history, that's what you have. You have salt becoming um, a very, very important uh, commodity. It was often uh, mined, here's a diorama of of the way that they would mine salt actually in in early history. Uh, here's a way that they would actually pile it up, let it evaporate, and then uh, they would collect it that way. As you go through history, Um, Actually, our word salary actually comes from this concept of salarius. Uh, In the early, early, in the Roman Empire, soldiers were actually paid not just with coin, but with salt. Uh, That was often, in fact, have you ever heard the term, you're not worth their weight in salt? That's where it comes from, because that was considered considered a way that you paid somebody uh, in early cultures. Uh, in fact, this is just an odd little thing, but by the time we get to the Middle Ages, salt had taken on this interesting concept of having to do with the superstitious bad idea. And the idea, have you ever seen somebody when something happens or it's a bad omen and they take a pinch of salt and they throw it over their left shoulder? Here's why. Because in the Middle, in the middle Ages, it was thought that you had like a good good stuff, bad stuff. And the good stuff was on the right side, and the bad stuff was on the left side. So if you had something happen to you by throwing salt over your shoulder, you were, you were keeping the bad omens away. Uh, in fact, here again, this is fascinating when you start digging into this stuff. Uh, Leonardo da Vinci, when he does the picture of the Last Supper with Jesus, okay, again, he's doing this in the Middle Ages. If you look very closely at a picture of that, the Last Supper, in front of Judas is a salt shaker that has been knocked over and spilled salt. Because it was considered to have this negative kind of connotation by the, by the Middle Ages. So that's kind of a little, just a little bit of history on, you, you know, the different things. We today use salt mainly to season food. In their culture, they use salt as a means to preserve food. There was no refrigeration. So often you would see, um, here's an idea. Uh, you see that, that, that deal on, uh, it's my left, but you see that deal. Those are fish in there packed in salt. This is how you would store your stuff. You would, you would take uh, the fish and things like that and you would store them in salt because this is a way you preserved it so that you could eat it later because you didn't have refrigeration. Now that's important for us to understand, because when you hear people normally preach or teach on this passage, they'll talk about ideas like, well, you know, we use salt to season things, so as Christians we ought to season the world, and and while all those things might be true, that's not what you were thinking about in first century when Jesus talks about this. When Jesus talks about this idea of being salt, to the minds of everyone sitting there or everyone standing there listening to him, the main idea that occurred into their head was preservation. It. It preserved things. It kept things from spoiling. That's why Jesus says, look, if it it becomes contaminated, if it loses its saltiness, you get rid of it. Because what they would do in this culture is, if your salt that was used to preserve things got contaminated, you would take it and you would throw it out in the street. That would keep the weeds from growing. That would do all kinds of things. That was really the only purpose of it once it had lost its saltiness, once it lost its ability to preserve, once it had been tainted, then Jesus was saying at that point, since it can't preserve anything anymore, throw it out on the street. And that's what they would do. And they would make sure it didn't get thrown into their garden. So <clears throat> that was the idea behind it. So when Jesus makes this comment, when he says, you're the salt of the earth, in their minds, these people are going, Okay, you want us to have that preservation. You're talking about preservation. Now, again, remember, the people that Jesus is ta- are talking to have been taught that the, the more you live for God, the closer you become to God, the more distance you put yourself from people. This is what the Pharisees were living out. We're better than you. Um, we follow God, so we stay away from you. That's why Jesus is often confronted about who he's hanging with. And Jesus here is making the statement, you're the salt of the earth. What he's saying is, you need to be in contact with other people. You need to have that preservation idea. Then he jumps into this idea of you're the light of the world. <clears throat> light, in the, light is just a, another fascinating study. But in the Bible, you see light at, at creation. You see it with the pillar of fire in the children of Israel. You see the fact that the, the Holy of Holies does not have any light in it. Uh, because Jesus, God is the light. Uh, you see it uh, when Jesus comes. You see it in Jesus' birth. You see it with the angels. You see it with the star that leads the Magi. You see Jesus saying that that I am the light of the world. You see it associated with truth. You see it in the end uh, in Revelation with the lampstands, and then you see it in the New Jerusalem where Jesus. So you have this idea of light, but in this culture, here is what we're talking about. Um. These, this is a typical house. It's like one room, you know. Uh, there might have been a top sleeping floor in some of them. Uh, where what, this basically is where everything took place. You can see the big screen TV. You can see the, you know, I mean, you know, where are they going to hang it? You know, <clears throat> this was it. It was basically a one-room deal. And you have to remember, they don't have electricity. These have very few windows. Most of them only had one little small window. That was it. Why? Because they didn't want the heat to come in, um, and they, they just had a little bit of light to come in. So at night, if you were going into this, how do you like the thing? It was typically, this is what you would look at. Um, I got one of these when I was in Israel. Uh, this is like the, I don't know, this is like your mini flashlight version. Uh, what they did is they put oil in here, and there would be a wick here, so if there's a fire, if there's a fire that's going on, you would go and, you know, you get something to stick in, you don't have matches, remember? So you get something to stick in there, a piece of straw, catch it on fire, light it, and then this is your, this is your light. When we get to the, the parable of the ten virgins, this becomes really an important issue on which ones were ready and had oil and trimmed and all ready to go. And so in, in, in this story, Jesus says, you're the light of the world. This is what people were thinking about. Uh, This is the kind of concept. And what Jesus is saying is, look, when you're going into your house at night, and it's dark, you light a lamp, and when you walk into the house, you find the highest spot in the house, and you set, in this case it's probably, in this case it would be up there. I would put it up there so that the light shines in the whole house. He's He doesn't, and he says, no one would take and light a light and put it under a bucket. That makes no sense. What's the purpose of the light if it's under a bucket? And so Jesus uses this to say, you're the light of the world. Because the second you put a light in a room, darkness starts to go away. The second you have light, all of a sudden now people can see. All of a sudden now you have direction. All of a sudden now you have something to focus on. Stuff is now revealed. And Jesus says, you're the light of the world. Now, let's go back to the story when Jesus speaks there. Because here's a very simple thing that we miss when we talk about this parable. What does he say at the beginning? Tell me, go try to remember what the passage says. What's the first word? You. That's plural. What's the next word? Are. Not optional. Jesus looks at these people and he says, you need to understand this. You're my followers, you need to understand this. You are light and you are salt. Not an option. The question is, What kind of salt and what kind of light? Are you salt that is doing what it's supposed to do? Or are you salt that has become tainted and spoiled and not being effective? What kind of light are you? Are you the light that's that's set up so everyone can see? Or are you the light that's under a bucket? He doesn't give us an option. And that's what we miss in this story. We're like, oh, we're going to be salt and light. No, you are salt and light. The question is, what kind of salt, what kind of light? That's the, that's the impetus of this story. So let's just talk about the implications of what he's saying. What does he mean when he says you're salt? What Jesus is talking about, again, is this idea of preservation. It's this idea of, think about it for a minute. Uh, at, at my house at home, uh, we have salt. We have We have sea salt, we have Morton regular salt, we have Himalaya pink salt, we, we have all kinds of salt. It doesn't do any good sitting in those containers. It only becomes effective when it has contact with whatever food I want to put it on. Salt can't preserve if it doesn't have contact with what it's supposed to preserve. That's a simple concept, but it's huge. What Jesus is saying is, look, you and I are salt in the world, and one of the purposes that we go into the world for is to preserve the world from getting worse. Yeah, yeah you're right. We do need more salt. Um but, I mean, that's the idea. The idea is that you, you need to understand, because, again, think about it for a second. If, if, if the concept is just simply to get to heaven, then we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ and we go to heaven. No, no. God keeps us here so that we can be a, a, a preserving agent in this world. In fact, those of you who are seasoned Christians and you've studied the last things, um, let me give you a quick, quick survey really fast on what we believe. As a church, we believe the next event in the timetable of God is when God comes back for his children. We call it the rapture, where God takes us to be with him in heaven. We believe that after that, what's going to happen is there's going to be a period of tribulation on this earth because the Christians are gone. So there's no restraining influence. None. This place goes Bonkers. And you can read about Revelation. And there's all kinds of crazy and, tri- and all kinds of crazy things that happen in this world because there's no restraining influence. The Holy Spirit's not there. We're not uh, Christians aren't there. There's no preservation aspect to it, and everything goes south fast, and it just picks up speed. Then we believe that God comes back, and we have um, then a time where God says, "Okay, I'm going to make everything right." We start a time of what's called the millennium, but the 1,000-year reign of Christ, where God binds Satan, puts Satan aside, and says, now I'm going to show you how this thing can run. And God sets up his kingdom here, and he runs this place for a 1,000 years with no influence from Satan. And then God allows Satan to be loosed for just a short little time to show the world once and for all that he knows how to run it and that Satan just wants to destroy it. And this thing goes south really fast. You have the battle of Armageddon, and then you have the start of the eternal kingdom of God. The key to that whole thing is what happens when you pull out salt. So one of our jobs, one of our responsibilities is to be that person who's saying, "Mm, you know what, I just don't think that's a good thing to do. I just don't think that's the way God wants us to do this. That's that's one of our jobs. It's to preserve the world that we live in. Second idea that he talks about here, uh, well, let me me back this up for a second. So it it, it assumes that I have contact with the world. It makes that assumption. Because in order to influence, I have to be able to have contact with. Now, again, this is a revolutionary concept. If you're a Pharisee listening to a rabbi teach, that we ought to have contact with the world. No, no, no. The rabbis taught, if you're going to get closer to God, you, have, you put more and more distance between you and the world. So Jesus, is, first of all, saying you're salt. You need, to, you need to be that preserving agent. And then you're light. Well, again, we talked about light reveals, light reflects, light all of a sudden uh, shows. So light is one of those things where Jesus Christ says, I'm the light of the world. And when we put our faith and trust in him, then his light shines through us and people see Christ in us. You say, that's the idea. The idea is for you to go into the world, not stick your head in the sand as a Christian, but to let people know that you're a Christian, to have the influence, to have the, 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 um, the opportunity for people to see Christ in you. So what that means is, as a Christian, guess what? I'm going to be put in situations, this is what I believe. I believe as a Christian, I'm going to be put in situations that are often worse than situations the world is in. Why? Anybody could serve God when everything's going great. That doesn't take any effort. It takes effort to serve God when things are tough. That's when your real faith starts to show to the world. That's when the world really starts to notice, you know, and and they start to see, okay, you know what? It is different. It, you know, they are different. Um, they are handling this different. They are, they are responding in a different way in there. So, the, the, The light is obvious to them. So the idea here, the overall idea with both of these ideas, is you and I have a responsibility to influence the world for Christ. Salt and light. We preserve and we also go into the world so that they can see Christ in us. So here's where I want to camp at the end of this thing to kind of put a bow on it for you. So what is it? that keeps us from influencing people for Christ. I got two things that I think address this issue about what it is in our world that all of a sudden makes this hard for us to influence people for Christ. The first one is this idea of, and I I call it pigeonholing our Christianity. Now, that's an old term for some of you who are younger. But you remember the roll-top, some of you have ever seen the roll-top desk? The roll-top desk, they had all these nooks and crannies in them, all these little drawers and all these. And you could put, like, you put all the pens in this one, and you could put all the pencils in this one, you could put all of this kind of stuff all together, and, and it had all these little pigeon holes in it. And I think that's what some of us do with our Christianity. And if you do that with Christianity, you can't have influence. Let me, uh, I'm going to illustrate it this way. I think this will help me. Uh, I'm going to illustrate it this way. This is, uh, I went down, I went into one of the storage rooms we have here, okay, and I grabbed this stuff. So these are little tubs that we have. We have more of these. This is plug covers for the little kids so that they don't keep sticking their fingers in sockets. We have a whole tub. Of it. Uh, Roomba, we, this is all our parts for our Roombas to keep our vacuum cleaner running. Um, this is name tags for potluck, and we forgot to do that last week. Uh, two weeks ago. This is rubber bands. Operation Christmas Trial. Uh, this is tape. Uh, again, Operation Christmas Trial. Uh, this is miscellaneous office stuff. This is the catch-all box. You don't know where else to put it, you just throw it in here. Uh, this is, uh, remotes and, and, and mice for, uh, computers. Uh, this is, this is keys. These are keys that we have, uh, all throughout the, the thing that we don't know what they go to until we can't open a door. Everything is in its nice little labeled container. Got that? This is how most of us live our life. This, let me spin it around this way. This is my church box. So on Sunday morning, I'm going to go to church. Now, because I'm at church, what that means is I have to be careful what I say. Because I can't use my... Work box language at church. So this is my church box. So I come to church, and I act like church people should. And then when I'm all done and I go home, usually you can't make it to the car before this box is put away. But let's say you get all the way home, and now you put away your church box, and now you get you get out your... I'm going to entertain myself this afternoon. So you have whatever it is that you entertain, whether it's a nap, whether it's going out to eat, whatever you pull out your Sunday afternoon box. Okay. And you make sure now that you get to do whatever you like to do in that Sunday afternoon box. And then you're going to go to bed tonight and you're going to get up in the morning and you're going to pull out your work box. Now, The thing about your workbox is you have a way that you think work should happen. So therefore, in your workbox world, you have a language that you use that you don't use in your church box world. Okay, Because if you use your workbox language in your church box world, (gasps) so you have your church box world or your workbox world. And in your workbox world, you have a set of principles by which you work. So you might say, you know what? I don't have to be there at 8 o'clock. I can go in at 8.15 and just punch in at 8 o'clock. I can take a two-hour lunch and say it was an hour lunch because it's my it's my work box world. It's not my church box world. I wouldn't do that if if I had to be my church box world. So I have a different set here. And then I go home. And I have to deal with my spouse. And I say things to my spouse that I would never say in my church box world or my work world. But that's my wife, or that's my spouse, and that's my, my, my marriage box world. Is this making sense? So here's a question. If I have all of these different boxes for my life, How salty can I be in influencing people? Because here's what happens. I've had this happen, by the way. I've had somebody who lives like this walk into this building and not realize that there's somebody here who also is somebody they've worked with And they go, whoa, I didn't know they. I can't believe they. Okay? Now, I I deal with that because we all are flawed. But the goal is that when they walk into here, they're not surprised. Because the reality of it is, their world is the junk box world. Where everything in their life, everything in their life gets thrown in here. This is their church world, this is their work world, this is their husband wife world, this is their kids world, this is the sports world. It's all in the same box. So when they walk into this building, it's the same person they've seen at work, it's the same person they've seen in the sports thing. Yeah, I haven't even talked about how you act. When you're at a game and a referee makes a bad call? I mean, some of you, you don't even have a box for that. Because that's like a whole different creature that's none of any of this. And we joke about it, but the reality of it is that's, that's it. Um, a couple weeks ago, I got, I got pulled over because I was driving a tad too fast. And the officer pulled me over and, and, and uh, he said, You know how fast you're going? I said, No idea. He said, Well, he said, I clocked you going up the hill at, I think it was 67. You know, I wanted to argue and go, Well, I needed that speed to get up over the thing, but I knew better. I said, You know what? He said, Where are you going so fast? And I said, I, di- I didn't tell him. I said, What I said was, I was coming from work. I was coming from church, okay? It wasn't a Sunday afternoon, but I'd been up here to do something and run at home. And he goes, and so he goes, he goes, uh, you know, so he asked me for the, all of the stuff. And so he goes, you got all? I said, yeah, 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 I got all these. I said, you know what? I said, I just blew it all off. I said, I've drive this route so many times. I just wasn't paying attention. I said, no problem at all. And fortunately, he just gave me a warning. He goes, you know, just pay attention to it. You know, I was like, okay, yeah, uh, he, he was right. But if he walked into this building today and saw me up there, you know what? He would look at me and go, you know what? Yeah, because the things he's talking about, I watched him exhibit to me when I pulled him over. It's not some guy who went off on him, yelling, hollering, and screaming because he pulled me over and how dare he. He was doing his job. I thanked him when he was on. I said, you know, I appreciate it. I said, you know, I don't deserve it, but I appreciate it. Thanks a lot. He wouldn't be surprised to walk in this building. That's what we're talking about here. We have influence. And and the thing is, we want to make sure that we're salt and light, that we can have an impact, that we're close to people, that we're connected to people. And one of the things that hurts our influence is when we start pigeonholing our life like this. You need to be the same person here as you are at work, as you are at home, all the way across the board you go well that would scare some of you well fortunately here's what you need to learn about us that's what we want we don't want to be we don't want you to be a different person tomorrow than you are here we're all at, we're all works in progress and you go well i'm looking for a place where everybody's got it all together well you got to find another church this ain't it Because we're all struggling here. We're all working to bring all of the areas of our life into this influence thing where they're all the same. I love it when I walk up to somebody and say, how's your week going on a Sunday morning? How's your week been? Horrible. Been absolutely a disaster. I've been miserable all week long. Now I know how to pray for you. Oh, it's good, pastor. Tell me the truth. I mean, really, really, tell me the truth. Let's be truthful. I don't, want to, I don't want you to pull out your church box. And that's so important. And if we don't get to that point, we're going to lose the ability to influence and the ability to be salt and light. The other thing that happens that hurts your influence is this, and I understand how this happens, but this is one of the things Jesus is addressing in these parables. What happens is you're, you spend your world in this world over here. And you become a Christian. And you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and you realize this isn't the world that you're comfortable in anymore. So you come over to spend time in this world. And this world encourages you, and this world helps you, and this world gives you tools and everything else. And what happens is over time, you have less and less people that are in that world. And before you know it, you're far more comfortable in this world than you are that world. And that's as it should be. But the problem is, you don't have anybody in that world anymore. And you have no influence now because you have no contact with those people. This is what Jesus is confronting when he tells this story. Because in this world, the religious leaders of the day said, the more you become like God, the more you put distance between you and everybody who's not like you. So when Jesus comes on the scene, he spends time with publicans and tax collectors and sick people and people who society, when we get into the parable of the Good Samaritan, that's, that's the, the impetus of the story, is the idea that you looked at yourself so good that you don't have anything to do with those people. And it's easy trap to fall into because you become far more comfortable in this world. I am far more comfortable in this world than I am that world. But as a Christian... I have an oppor—I have an obligation and a responsibility to have friends in that world. Some of you are in jobs where that's natural. But even those of you that are in jobs where that's natural, can I challenge you with something? There's a great tendency to go, I'm not going to go to the office party because of everything that goes on. How are you going to be salt and light? You need to be there to be salt and light. I'm not comfortable there. Great. I'm glad you're not comfortable there. But you need to be salt and light. And that is so important. One of the questions that I ask myself, one of the check marks, the red flag check marks I have for myself is, do I have a world that has those people in it? Um, Or is the world that I've created for myself, and again, let's get really practical. Is your Facebook world all people who agree with you? Mine's not. It'd scare you to see some of the things that some of the people that I know post. But if I'm going to be salt and light, guess what? Guess what? You know, again, I, 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 want, to be, I, I want to be the kind of person that I want to be over in this world, and should they walk into this building one day, they're not going to be surprised. We get it the same token. In order to be light, and Jesus is confronting this by using these two examples of salt and light. When light comes in, everybody notices it, unless you stick it under a bushel. Unless you put it under a bucket. And for some of you, my question would be this, do people at work know you're a Christian? And, And again, I've been challenged with this idea. Think of all the opportunities, ways that you have to influence. Some of you are in jobs where you're in Zoom meetings all week long. Have you ever thought about this for a second? What's behind you in your Zoom meeting that everybody sees? That's an opportunity for influence. That's an opportunity to be salt and light. That's an opportunity for you to actually be able for them to go, look, they got got to look at your mug. Why not throw something behind them that makes them learn something about you or allows you to be salt and light? Some of you have businesses. What in your business? And again, some of you can do this, some of you can't. What in your business reflects Christ? What in your business? What in the way you do your job allows you to be salt and light? That's that's what we're talking about here. And as we think about it, what you have to understand is you, me, we are salt. The question is whether we're effective salt or not. You, me, we are light. The question is whether we're in a bucket or on the stand. Do people see it and know it, or is it something we hide from people? And Jesus uses this parable to illustrate to these people, look, understand this, you're salt and light. So this week, go out and be salt and light. Be the kind of salt that makes a difference. Be the kind of light that people notice. And I'm talking about in a good way, not in a goofy John 3.16 sign way. I'm talking about in a real practical way where people go, you know what, I don't know what it is about them, but there's something different. There's something about the marriage. There's something about the way they post stuff on the Internet. There's something different about there's something different about them that reflects Jesus Christ. That's what we're trying to do. That's what we're trying to do. And while we all do this to a degree. Our goal is to get everything into one box. And it's the same box wherever we go. So I want to challenge you as we head into this week. Jesus reminds his children, they must be salt and light in the world. It's our responsibility to be in contact with a world that doesn't understand or know Christ. We are called to be a light and a witness in that world. We have to reflect the teachings of Christ in all we do. We have to allow Christ to be revealed by the way we speak and by the way we live our lives. It's what we're called to do. We must influence this world for Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, help us. Guide us, direct us. Lord, it's so easy to be something different on Monday than we are on Sunday. Or it is so easy to fall into this trap of uh, either hiding our witness or minimizing our witness. But, Lord, I just pray that in a unique way you would use us, that you would help us to understand that people are watching and that we have opportunities in front of us every day. So use us, Lord. Uh, May you keep us from being tainted by the world, by the things that that Satan desires. May you help us as we try to live and, and, and honor you in all that we do. And when it is all said and done, Lord, And we come back in here next Sunday and may we be able to say that to the best of our ability, we were salt and light in a good way this week. These things we ask in your name. Amen.